Um, we've been marching through the first couple of chapters of Luke as we consider Christ's coming and uh, Advent, His incarnation, and we'll continue that this morning. Luke 2, verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went uh, to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the relevance of these words to us today. Father, I thank you that your word is not just something to read and put on a shelf and like a myth of old or a story of old, just to take what we want from it, be encouraged a little by it. But these are the very words of life. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have spoken, that indeed you are the living word. And so, for this sermon to be blessed, you have to come and show us yourself. You have to reveal yourself personally to each one of us by your Spirit this morning, right where we live. And I don't have the power nor the talent to do that. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come? We are wasting our time unless you show up. Oh God, would you teach us? Show us our sin. But, oh God, would you show us the encouragement of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you show us the one who brings peace to sinners, to broken men and women and children just like us? Oh God, would you stir up hope in this room this morning, especially where there's hopelessness? Would you stir up faith where there's faithlessness, oh God, where there's skepticism and doubt and unbelief? And, oh God, would you stir up faithfulness where our hearts run after things that will not give us life. Oh God, we need You. Would You come and bring the light of the Spirit upon Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
an angel appeared to Mary, the story is so common. The angel appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to have a child by the Holy Spirit. And the angel even tells her early on what this child will be like. He said, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And friends, Mary and Joseph believed it. They believed it. And they began to walk in faith, especially as as Mary began to, to feel the effects of being pregnant. And you can only imagine, as she gets late uh, in her pregnancy, that they are decorating the nursery. They're getting the house prepared. They're, they're painting the room blue. Why? Because the Holy Spirit told them ahead of time, you're having a boy. And Mary is knitting blue blankets, and the anticipation is killing her. She can't wait to have her firstborn son. And Joseph is building the, the cradle, and they're getting ready. And they feel that they are ready. Many of you out there are doing the same. We have about 10 to 12 of our own women pregnant right now, waiting, going through exactly what Mary was going through. And yet, just at the time when they they were expecting the baby, God throws a curveball. Caesar Augustus issues a decree that a census be taken of the whole world. And what happens? They have to take a road trip. If there's ever a time you don't want to take a road trip as a pregnant woman, especially riding on a donkey, it is that time. And yet that's exactly what they have to do. But you can just anticipate, you can almost hear them reasoning one with the other. Well, a couple of days, maybe one night, maybe two, we'll, we'll get to Bethlehem. It's not that far as, you know, as, as the donkey travels. And we'll get there, we'll, we'll, we'll spend the night, we'll register, we'll get right back to, to our community, we'll get right back to where help will be. And yet they get to Bethlehem late, and the inn is full. They can't find a room, but there's a gracious innkeeper who lets them go out back to the stable, to wherever it was, whatever the structure looked like, that that, that kept the animals. And they say, okay, this will do. It's just one night. And then at some point during that night, maybe Mary's water broke, maybe the contraction started. We don't know what happened first, but you can only imagine the anticipation, the fear, the anxiety. Oh, no. I'm telling you right now, if that happened with me and I knew that, hey, the birth of my child was dependent upon me, there was no midwife around, there would be absolute freaking out in that moment. And surely Joseph wasn't calm as a cucumber. And so he does what he can do. He doesn't want to show his fear. He doesn't want to show his anxiety because he wants to keep Mary calm. But he, he, he arranges the hay the best he can. He, he, he puts a cloth down. He, he puts a blanket down. He puts whatever he has down. He does what he can do, and he's the best midwife he can be, and Jesus is born. And as Mary is trying to get little Jesus to, to feed, uh, Joseph is, is looking around and he sees a food trough and he dumps the food, the animal's food out and he, he cleans it out the best he can and he gets the freshest hay he can find and, and they wrap the, the baby of Jesus in, in cloths and there they are. And dear friends, nothing was working out as they had planned. Do you see it? The, the promise of God came to them. And they stepped out in faith. They said, we believe we've heard God and we're going to walk by faith. But this is not what we signed up for. 
It doesn't feel like God is present. It doesn't feel like God is blessing us. It doesn't feel like redemption is coming to the world. It feels just the opposite. We're alone and we're scared and we're separated from our family and we're young teenagers. We're not old enough to do what God, what you're calling us to do. Where are you? And then in that moment, shepherds show up. I mean, the last thing a young mom wants are strangers in her room when she just had a baby. And here are a bunch of shepherds and they're all excited. And they're talking about visions that they saw and, and, and the multitude of the heavenly hosts singing to them. And Mary's like, that's great for you. But can you just leave us alone? You see, dear friends, I think what we're seeing in this story is it's not just a story to kind of put in the nativity scene and think back upon. But it's right where we live. We're being taken right where we live on a daily basis. We believe the Word of God, but help us in our unbelief because we're trying to to reconcile trusting you with what's happening in our lives. You have promised great peace. You've promised great blessing. You've promised to, to be with us, but it feels like you're far from us. Are you asleep, oh God? That's how we feel sometimes. And the reality is that we feel slapped in the face by our faith and sometimes, quite frankly, we feel foolish. I believe that we as Christians and even those who grew up in the church don't have a hard time believing that God can show up in a real way and do big things. But I think that we all struggle with believing that God can show up and do big things for us. And you say, how do you know that, Richard? How do you know me so well? Because I'm a preacher. And I've been preaching for a lot of years, and I've been telling people for a lot of years what God can do for them if they would just believe. But then I have to leave this place, and I have to go get, live my life. And I find that the, the, the strong struggle of having to believe God when the stuff around me points to the fact that I shouldn't believe God. And so I think that this account of Jesus' birth has much to say to us right where we live today. So let's look at it. And the first thing that I think that we can see is the reality that God can, does, and will do big things with common people just like you. If there's anything, it's the most simple point. God can, will, and does do huge things through common, ordinary people like you and like me. We don't believe that. I'm a, as a minister, I've been to a lot of conferences. And because of that, I have a lot of voices from a lot of speakers that just kind of live in my head. And I'll never forget um, a, a conference I went to 20-something years ago on church planning. And this well-known pastor in my little circle back then got up. And this is a man who, who was just renowned for having a photogenic memory. I mean, he could look at something, remember it, and not need any, a note. And he stood up before us young bucks and he said this. He said, if you stand up and you need notes, then you haven't studied hard enough and you don't know your passage. And I want you to know that message rolls around in my mind as I use my notes on a weekly basis. 
I attended another conference where a very intelligent, very uh, gifted preacher stood up and told us young preachers that if we didn't have 20 or 30 sermons that we could preach on the drop of a hat, that we weren't ready to preach. And friends, I want you to know that I have never been able to do that. I am the worst memorizer, maybe not the worst on the planet. You always tell me I exaggerate, and I do exaggerate, but I'm pretty bad. I I mean, my biggest fear is, is to be in a situation where somebody says, Oh yeah, what does Luke chapter 15 verse 3 say? It's not because I don't read my Bible, it's because I don't have that kind of memory, and it's getting worse as I get older. I have spent... 35 years, practically every day, pouring myself into the Word of God. It's not lack of effort. It's not lack of work. I just don't have a mind like that. And so when I come to a passage like this and I see little Joseph and little Mary and they're struggling and here they are, just common people. Who in the world is Zachariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist? It gives me hope because those are people just like me. They're not. They don't have the the hugest intellect on the planet. They don't have the greatest gifts on the planet. They're just common people who are willing to trust God and believe and do what He's called them to do. And I want you to know that if the church today, if we today could get that message into our minds and hearts, if we just in this room this morning could get that simple message, all of us could leave today believing God can, will, and does use me. This city would change. If we would but believe it, that it's not for the professionals. It's not for the guys that, with the high intellect that have memorized chapters of the Bible and can come out and vomit it on us. But it's little old you and me, hearing the quiet voice of God through His Word and by His Spirit, nudging us to move forward in faithfulness, if we would just do that, the city would not be the same. I've become convinced, because I believe this is what the Word of God says, that God doesn't use just gifted and extraordinary minds. He uses the foolish to shame the wise. He doesn't say, go find the wisest people and let's go shame some dumb people. He doesn't say, let's go find the strongest people in the land and let's go make weak people feel bad. You know what he says? This is my economy, says God. I'm going to find the foolish people and I'm going to make them faithful and they're going to shame the wise. I'm going to find the weak people and I'm going to use them and they're going to shame the strong. Why? Because at the end of the day, those people, that church will not get praise, but Jesus will be praised because everybody will know that those people could not have done what I did in and through them. That's his normal way of working in the world. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it better than this Western mindset, than this, this, this educated, top-down approach that you've got you've to be this or you've got to look like that in order for God to use you? I mean, listen to what God is saying in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. And let me stop right there. If God has blessed you with a tremendous intellect, praise God. Hear me, I am not at all down, I'm not speaking down to intellectual people. What I'm saying is, is that God can use 
many more people than just those that have great minds, okay? And I believe that's what's being said here. Not many of you, that means some of them were. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, some were. Not many were of noble birth, some were. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring uh, to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Do you want to know why we boast so much in the ministry? It's because we totally reverse 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29. And we're not willing to stand up before the people and say, we are just like you and probably worse. And God can use us all. Amen? I love the story of uh, John Cavanaugh. He was some, apparently was some famous intellectual ethicist. I don't even know what that is. I guess he could think about ethical things on a high level and write about them and lecture about them. But anyway, he, he goes to Calcutta and he visits Mother Teresa. And when he landed, he, he was going to spend several weeks with her. And she said, uh, John, how may I pray for you while you're here? And he said, well, I want you to pray that God will give me clarity. And she immediately said, clarity? No, I will never pray that for you. Because your desire for clarity is the thing that's holding you back from really trusting God. He said, well, Mother Teresa, I'm confused. I just want the clarity that you seem to have so much and so well. And this is what she said. She said, I have never had clarity What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. She got it. I mean, why? What did Mary and Joseph do in this passage? What is the only thing that they did? They trusted the Word of God. Do you trust the Word of God? I mean, that's what faithfulness is. It's trusting the Word of God. He uses frightened, unprepared people like you and me. I, I, I'm convinced that we don't have a clue who the greatest heroes of the kingdom will be. The people that will be front and center in the kingdom of heaven, if I guess some are exalted over others in heaven. And we can talk about that theology some other time. But for our understanding, our little minuscule understanding of heaven and glory and all that, there will be no jealousy. I do believe that, okay? There will be no rivalry. But hey, uh, the Bible does say something about, I don't know, greatness, a lot of... You know, um, um, jewels and crowns and all that. So anyway, let's let's move on. I, I, I get distracted. Um, I believe that when when we get to heaven, we'll be surprised by the people who are front and center, because it will be the people that we've never heard of. It'll be the people that just got up every day and did what God told them to do. It'll be the people that just went to work. It'll be the moms that just raised their children. It'll be the grandparents that just poured into their, 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 their grandchildren. It'll just be the common people like you and me who got up and did what God told them to do. They hadn't written a book. They haven't done conferences. They just got up and did what God told them to do. That's all Mary and Joseph did. And that's all God calls us to do. You know, faithfulness is not finding the most fresh and new writer or ministry or even church and emulating their method in teaching so you can be as cool and well-known as they are. Let me say that again. We really need to hear this in our day. Faithfulness is not finding the most fresh and new writer or ministry or even church and emulating their, their method or their teaching. One thing that I think we miss today 
is the need for the church to have individuality among its body. There are many parts to the body of Christ. And yet what I see, especially in our day, in this professionalistic kind of mentality of ministry, is that what we're trying to do is make everybody look the same. And what we saw last week, and let me elaborate a little bit on it. I mean, you see it in in Zechariah and Elizabeth when God told them that John the Baptist would not uh, touch wine, that wine would not touch his lips. That was so weird. I mean, why did God tell them that that Zechariah, that that John the Baptist wouldn't have wine touch his lips? Because he didn't say that to anybody else. It wasn't against the law. That was not the law for Joseph and Mary and Jesus. So why? You want to know why? I do too. We don't know. And I have a feeling Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't know either. But they trusted God. And he was set apart in this one little area of his life where he couldn't drink wine. And you can only imagine, everybody asking him, dude, why don't you drink wine? I mean, it's, it's really the only option, that or water of the day. He said, I don't know, God said I couldn't do it. You know, we need in the church today, we need a lot more of that. God is not calling you to be like me. God is not calling you to be like the person who wrote the latest book. God is not calling you to be like the person you're sitting by. God is not calling you to be like the elders of this church or like Chris or Rick or anybody else. God is calling you to do what He is calling you to do. You see, the gospel is the only power to give us the freedom to have diversity in the body where we don't look like little cookie-cutter people. Because the gospel says your identity is not in being like... But your gospel is rooted in the reality that Jesus came for you. And Jesus lived for you. And Jesus died for you. And Jesus was raised again for you. And Jesus is coming back for you. That's your identity. It's not being like this. It's being like what God is calling you to be and do. Church, trust the gospel. Get rooted in the identity of your, your Christ and go be something different than somebody else in this room. For the love of God and the glory of God, could we just be different and not try to put pressure when we feel like we've arrived on everybody else? Oh, what a beautiful body that would be. Dear friends, that's what we're called to be. And that's what uh, Mary and Joseph were being. And then secondly, God can, does, and will do big things through mundane, even painful times. So God can use, do big things through common people. He can also use just mundane common times. I had lunch with um, an old friend this morning, or not this morning, uh, this week. And um, he, uh, about a month ago, lost his 49-year-old sister to cancer. And he said, you know, she had cancer for two years and it was horrible. I mean, every time that we went to the doctor, you know, you know how it goes in the, the body of Christ. Uh, you get the report, the church starts praying, everybody you know, anticipates you know, healing and great report. Every single time that happened, she got a bad report for two years and then she died. He said, Richard, I, I'll be honest with you, I've been mad. I've been mad at God. But then I found her prayer journal, or her journal. And I started reading it. I sat in a room and I just started reading it. And what I saw was the story of a woman who was not very close to God at the beginning. 
who got extremely close to God toward the end of her life. He said, it so encouraged my soul so much that by the end of her journal, she is thanking God for giving her cancer because she has been closer to Him than she's ever been in her entire life and now she's ready to go home. She literally looked at him while she was in her bed at the end of her life and said, Brother, I'm ready to go home. And he said, Richard, it wasn't some spiritual jargon. She meant it. She knew where she was going. She knew Jesus. And she went home to see him. Think about those two years. Think about that family. This is half, would have to be the worst time of their family's life. And it must have seemed as if God was far from them, and yet God was at work. Joseph and Mary must have felt the same way. I mean, why else would God send a bunch of shepherds to tell them that something big was happening? I've never thought of it this way. And it just hit me this week as I'm studying. I'm thinking, what is up with the shepherds? And, and I know, I mean, I've studied the shepherds a lot in the past, but it just hit me. I mean, much of the time, what we need as, as believers is for somebody from the outside to come on the inside and tell us that God is at work. Somebody needs to come in when we can't see it, when we've stopped believing it, and say, keep going. God is at work. And that's all the shepherds do. They show up and they say, look, Joseph and Mary, this may not seem significant, but oh, buddy, listen to what, listen to what um, 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 God has told us. And, and Luke puts it this way, um, that the shepherds showed up and, quote, made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. I mean, the only reason they show up is to say, listen to what God said about this child. Now, why would they need to hear that? Because it was a totally mundane moment. It was a time of suffering. They're lonely. They don't feel God at work at all. And so they say this. And the angel said to us, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. I mean, can you imagine? They're in this, this makeshift room in a barn with hay and their cows around, and it's cold and it's miserable. Unto you this day a Savior has been born. Something's going on right now. Man, don't you need to hear that sometimes when it doesn't feel like anything's going on? And the shepherds are saying something's going on because God has said it. Well, guess what God has told you? For we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love Him. For those whom God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Do you understand what that means? What that means is God uses the most mundane moment of your life to make you more like Jesus, the most praised one in the universe. There is no common moment for the believers of Je in Jesus Christ. Some, some ways we can see that in our life. There are times when we can see that. I, I can look back in my life and see it clearly. I could stand up here all day and give you stories. Let me just give you one. Ninth grade. My whole world was basketball. I mean, that was it. That was my identity. It was my image. It was everything. And I was not too shabby, believe it or not. That's all I did was play basketball. And yet the last day, I'll never forget it, Charlie Leonard, uh, freshman coach at Christian Brothers, he's now coaching on the LSU staff. I saw him on TV the other day. I'm like, there's that jerk that cut me, you know, in the ninth grade. No, just kidding. 
Um, I'm still trying to be grateful for it, but I can see how God used it. All right, he, I mean, I played so bad; it was it was just comical, and I, I I got cut. I didn't make the team, and I went home going, "What in the world am I going to do?" I mean, that's all I've ever done. Basketball's my life. I get this thing in the mail. A youth group at the church that I don't really go to is going on a ski trip. Well, I'll try that out. Why not? Not playing basketball. My life has never been the same. Jesus was preached on that conference, heard it, got up in my heart, and the rest is history. And also my now wife was on that trip too. Uh, she didn't quite love me uh, on that trip. Matter of fact, I was pretty obnoxious. Uh, but that was before I became a Christian and not as, you know, beautiful as I am now, I guess. But, uh... you know, there's some ways to look back and to see, oh yeah, I mean, that's what God was doing. But you know, there are a lot of things where you just don't understand it. I read a story this week about Syria and 50 to 60 believers being lined up and shot. Some, a whole family thrown down a well. Um, and Christian churches burned in Syria. And you just say, why? You know, the guy from, from Austin, Texas, um, who was gunned down overseas and, and you know, who'd given his life as a teacher... You say, why? And God doesn't tell us. And you know, if you look at this story, and you look at Joseph and Mary, and they had a bunch of promises, but it really didn't start making sense until maybe year 30? I don't know. And even then, it got pretty crazy. For those three years when he went into the ministry, I mean, he wasn't accepted by many. And he ended up crucified on a cross, being, you know, um, judged falsely in a mock trial. And so he died, but he was raised and he ascended, and still they didn't get the full picture. And and, and so 30-something years, 33 years, we have to look at it and we have to say, the message to us this morning is stay the course. Don't let your faith depend on you understanding what God is doing in your life. Just believe that God is doing in your life. You don't have to understand. You don't have to understand what He's doing in your job. You don't have to understand what He's doing in in, in the home that you live in, or your marriage, or the fact that you're single. You don't have to understand what He's doing. It is not your job to understand what He's doing. It's your job to believe that He's doing something. And He's good. Do you understand that Joseph and Mary probably never had clarity? They probably never fully understood what all of this stuff meant, even though they pondered it and they thought about it days on end and nights on end. You can only imagine the the conversations the two of them had together. And yet they never had complete and total clarity, but they trusted God. And that's exactly where every one of us in this room lives. God speaks to us through His Word very clearly. And we say, God, it doesn't feel right. But God says, do it anyway. You can trust me. I sent my Son to die for you. And so God can, does, and will use common instances of life. And He's doing it for you right now. And then thirdly and finally, Jesus is the biggest thing God does. Man, I really... It stuck out to me in this passage in a way it's never done so before. If you look at if you look at this passage, 
and you say, what did Joseph and Mary have? And really all they had was Jesus. That's all they had. They had promises and they had Jesus. Jesus didn't bring clarity to their lives. He brought suffering. Uh, Jesus didn't bring better blessings in their lives. It probably brought some poverty. And you know, as I started thinking about that, I said, you know, that's kind of the effect children have on us as parents. I mean, our daughter Ashley is going to have a baby sometime around June 5th, Lord willing. And I can kind of write the story. I mean, there's great anticipation. Everybody's excited. She's showing now, wearing maternity clothes. We're going to find out the sex of the baby January 2nd. We're all excited. And then that baby's going to be born, and we're still all going to be excited. But she's going to be exhausted. And they're going to struggle financially. And they're going to be up nights on end, praying and worrying and and, and caring for that little one. And it's going to change their lives. It's going to keep them from doing the things that they've always enjoyed doing. I had a lunch with somebody this week, and and they told me, they said, you know, their their children in a couple years are going to be out of school, and in college they're going to be empty nesters. They said, I'm going to have to learn what to do. I gave up all my hobbies years ago when I had children. I mean, that's what you do. You sacrifice. They change everything about your life. And yet through that, they change you. Now listen, as a parent, when you treasure a child, you don't treasure what they do for your family. If you don't believe that, watch Archie Manning. I didn't prepare to talk about this, but watch that whole Archie Manning story. I'm not an Ole Miss fan, but that's amazing. You need to watch that documentary. Because he loved his boys, Peyton Cooper, Peyton, Eli, maybe there's another one, I don't know, but... He loved those boys, and he never put pressure on them to play football. They talked about having a begging to come out and teach them. He said, I love my boys. Uh, anyway, go watch it. It, it. It's unbelievable. I mean, that's kind of, that, he's a true parent. Because, you know, we're not looking for them to, to bless us with physical stuff. We know they're going to demand everything from us. We just want them. And that's why it's so hard to let them go. It's like, it seems like God is cruel. Raise them up, love them, pour everything into them, and then let them go and don't ever tell them what to do again. You're like, what? And yet that's exactly what we're called to do. But you know what? There's a sense in which that's exactly our relationship with Jesus. We, we don't come to Jesus. And Mary and Joseph couldn't come to Jesus for what he could do for them. They had to come to Jesus for Jesus. Have you come to Jesus for Jesus? Has He made that kind of impact in your life where you're willing to change how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you look at yourself? You know, you take a child out in public and they're screaming and you're embarrassed and you don't want... When you take Jesus out in public, you're going to be embarrassed and you're going to feel shame sometime and you're going to have to make the decision, do I stand for Him or do I not? You see, dear friends, this little baby changed their lives in ways they could never, ever imagine. And Jesus is still doing it today. Do you have that kind of relationship with Him? That's the whole point of God becoming man. It's so that He, God, will be accessible to you. So that you will have a living relationship with the God of heaven and earth. 
Because he came to live under the law for you. You want to know how you can have a relationship? You go try to live under the law and see how well you do. If you think you're doing it well, then you're not obeying the law. You're obeying some form of the law that you've made up. You go try to live under the law, then you're going to have an appreciation for a Savior who came to live under the law for you, only that he might go to the Father and say, here, give, treat Richard as if he had lived this life. Wow. And then on the cross, he said, okay, take Richard and make me look as bad as him and treat me just like you should treat him. And all God says is, come on, walk by faith. Accept this gift. And Jesus will come in your life and you get to walk with Him and you get to follow Him in the confidence of His love and acceptance of you because the Father's acceptance is based on the finished work of Jesus. Do you know Him this morning? Do you know Him this morning? If you do, then let's renew our faith in Him. Let's glory in Christ Jesus. And if you don't, would you be challenged at least to consider it? And would you even come to Him this morning and trust Him as your Savior and begin this life with Him that's going to cost you everything, but is going to be worth worth everything you give up and so much more? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You have come for us. We thank You, Lord Jesus, that You are so much more than a little baby, and yet You are a little baby. You came weak. You came dependent to show us that You were willing to do so, and You call us to do the same. Help us to come weak and dependent this morning, Lord Jesus, because we can just cast ourselves in the strong arm of You, O Father, and we can trust that You have us. We can trust that You will hold us. We can trust that You're at work when it doesn't seem like You're at work. We can trust that You're working in and through us even though it doesn't seem like You're working in and through us. And we can trust that You are the best thing because You are. So God, do Your work in our hearts right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.